Yeah, so we're going to turn to the uh, book of Acts, and uh, you're going to put your finger there, actually, because I'm going to read you a couple other things uh, to begin to remind ourselves. Tell me this, Gospels before or after Acts? Yeah, the Gospels are before Acts. Even I can get that one, right? And, uh, uh, and so uh, what I want you to turn to first is John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and I want you to, uh, or I want us to remind ourselves of a couple things that Jesus had already told the disciples when he was with them. Remember now, we are past the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're past the time of his burial. Excuse me, we're past the time of the death of Jesus Christ, his burial and resurrection. We're past the time of those uh, several days in which he appeared to the uh, the followers or his followers, and we're past the time of his ascension where he went back into heaven. But when he was here, right at the end of his life, he gave uh, some things to his disciples. And the first one I want to read to you is in John 15, verses 18 through 20. John 15, verses 18 through 20. And it says this. How about this for a pick-me-up message? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, that's important, I want you to see that. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. I also want to turn, have you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Go there into the 13th chapter as we continue to remind ourselves of some of the things that Jesus told his followers. In Mark 13, verse 9. Let me get there. He says this, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, like important places, councils. Now think about who these folks were. You're talking fishermen up on the Sea of Galilee, councils. I mean, we're talking Sanhedrin here. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the Sanhedrin at the time of Christ was the Jewish ruling council. It was made up of 70 persons, males, 70 plus one, so 71. And the reason I'm saying it that way is because it was made up of um, um, uh, the 71st person was the chief high priest at the time, the chief high priest, the head honcho, in other words, of the ruling council. This was sort of like the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, it didn't limit itself to legal questions, of course. It was in charge of spiritual questions. And it had a couple of different Jewish sects that were involved, plus others. And you've heard of them. Pharisees and Sadducees. And Pharisees were the ultra-Orthodox, literal takers of the Word of God who not only believed in the first five books of the Bible, but had oral tradition and then written commentary 
to interpret the first five books of the law. That's the Pharisees. And as you know, and as I know, because we read the Gospels, the Pharisees were the ones who sort of attacked Jesus. And it was always a a thorn in his side, if I can say it that way, although Jesus handled it perfectly and wonderfully with grace and truth. But you also had a different sect, and that's the Sadducees. And this is really fascinating. And the reason I'm telling you this is because we're going to encounter them today. The Sadducees were a little different. They were the sort of liberal elite of religion back then, especially the Judaism religion. They were more wealthy. They weren't blue-collar. They were more white-collar. They believed not necessarily in the literal interpretation of the first five books of the Bible or the first five books of the Bible at all. And what they especially didn't take part in was the oral tradition and the written commentary. But there's one thing that we find in the book of Luke that they didn't believe in. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the spiritual after death. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe in that realm. And they're a little different in terms of their attack. The Pharisees, now both parties did, so don't hold me to it perfectly, were primarily the ones who attacked Jesus. The Sadducees, after Jesus ascended, attacked the apostles. And you're going to see it today. And the reason I just went off on that as we read Mark 13, verse 9, is can you imagine being at the end of Jesus' life? You're a fisherman. You're whatever, a normal person just living life, and you're following Jesus, and you've been called out, and all of a sudden he boasts out with, they're going to hate you like they hate me. And some are going to believe the word and the word you tell them that's from me. Some will, but many are going to hate you and not just hate you, persecute you. And then he says to fishermen and other just normal people, including sort of a guerrilla warfare guy, the zealot there. I mean, all these different people watch out for yourselves. You're going to be delivered up to a council or councils. I mean, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, right. I know how to take fish out of the nets. I know how to get the boat ready. How am I going to be in front of the council or a council or any council? But watch out for yourselves for they will deliver you up to councils and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings. Kings, they might say. You're going to be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony. Isn't that interesting? For a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they rest you, I'm going to read you the rest here, and deliver you up. Hey, don't worry beforehand, Jesus says. For, or, or premeditate what you'll speak. But what is, whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Do me a favor and pray with me. Well, Lord, we come to chapter 4 of the book of Acts, and we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. That this wouldn't just be something we check off or check into, but, Lord, that you would deliver these words to our hearts, and that you would find good soil on which to plant it. And, Lord, whether it's salvation, eternal life, or, Lord, you want us 
to drop something out of our life or to add something into our life or you're developing your Christ-like character, so be it. Help us to be ones who would participate with you and obey what you ask us to do. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in chapter 4, but you can't know chapter 4 unless you know a little bit about chapter 3. I mean, here's what happens is uh, Peter and John, two unlikely friends, but friends nonetheless, are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And uh, they're going up at the third hour, and they're up on the temple mount, and they come to this gate, this really pretty gate. It's so pretty, they call it the beautiful gate. That's a joke, but not very good one. And they come to the beautiful gate, and it's where a lot of people pass by, and somebody's begging for alms. A man, a lame man, and he's been lame for at least 40 years. He's uh, uh, got, it appears, dislocated feet, flat, flattened down, and don't you know, uh, are not at perpendicular angle like ours are. That's what the language says because Luke's a doctor and he can use those sorts of things. And uh, anyway, uh, Peter and John said, I don't really, we don't have money, but what we do have, we'll give you. And what we'll give you is Jesus. That's who it is. And it's him by which we can say, rise up and walk. And he actually rises up and walk. And they say it's because of his name, his character, his power. Jesus, who's ascended to heaven, is still working through his apostles, us, his followers, and he's the one that healed you. And then there draws this big crowd out into Solomon's porch. It's this place around the temple areas. And people gather. They gather. And Peter gives this sermon, and what he calls them to do is to repent and be converted, verse 19, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come. And that's where we left off. Now, you know, because we read it last week, that if you read Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament. It's 800 or so years prior to the time of Christ predicting the Messiah in Isaiah 35 said one of the characteristics that you're going to know who the Messiah is, is he's going to call up the lame to walk, call up the lame to walk. And you also know in John chapter four, Jesus actually did this. Jesus did it when he was at the pool of Bethesda. He asked the man to rise, take up your mat and walk. Remember that? So Jesus did it. And now here we are, his apostles have done it, signifying the fact that they were living and working and growing and moving on in mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Glorifying God, and it's the power of Jesus who saves. We get this, right? And we come to chapter 4, and it says, as they spoke to the people, They're in Solomon's porch, right there on the Temple Mount. As they spoke to the people, look at this, the priests, the big honchos. I mean, these are the elite of the religious order of Judaism. They gather in the porch along with the captain of the temple. That's like the temple police. Who here thinks they just have a normal everyday job? Come on. Don't you all have a job? I mean, right. Don't you think you just have a normal everyday? I think that's what I have. I have a normal everyday job. It's not often that I go before the Supreme Court of America. It's not often that I I go and have an audience with the president. 
It's not often that I do any of those things. And maybe you find yourself there. That's what these guys were like. And the captain of the temple, and here you go, the Sadducees come. Now you know right now, right? What the Sadducees are all about. They don't believe in the resurrection. What had Peter been speaking about? Look in verse 26 of chapter 3. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. Wait a minute. We know that Jesus died. These captain or these priestly people, these leaders, the captains, uh, or the captain of the temple, the Sadducees. We know he died. What do you mean he was raised? We don't even believe that he was raised because he couldn't be raised. We don't believe in that. Are you catching it? So the Sadducees come upon them, and they're greatly disturbed. I mean disturbed. The phrasing in the Greek is greatly disturbed. I mean, they are mad, angry, bitter, perplexed. So they come. Why were they disturbed? Because they taught the people. And what did they teach the people? Look, they preached Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. They preached that. Now, time out. If you want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is where you keep coming back to. You can answer, did, uh, you know, Noah have a belly button if you want? Or who, Noah, not Noah, Adam. Did Adam have a belly button if you want? Noah did have a belly button, by the way. You can answer if Adam had a belly button. Do it. Do your best. Search it out. Work on it. Be a student of the Bible. Uh, what happens to people in the rainforest? And wh- have they heard or not heard? Yes. Find those answers as best you can in the Bible and do great. And as you're sharing with people the gospel of Jesus Christ, turn the conversation to the resurrection. Always. And keep doing it. The reason is, is because this chapter puts pluralism right in its crosshairs. What's pluralism? Well, it's the same thing you hear now. All roads lead to heaven. Uh, Why can't you Christians just accept the fact that all religions have a little bit of good stuff, and if we just put them all together, we can coexist? You ever heard stuff like that? And how dare you, in an arrogant way, come and say... Jesus is the only way. You with me? That's pluralism. And uh, by the way, it's here in chapter 4. And it's here in a big way in 2023. So they're bothered because these two people who haven't studied or been to seminary, they just look, I mean, they got fish guts on their hands and they're up here in the portico telling us, about the Messiah and who Jesus was and the things of religion. And we've studied and we've trained and who are they? And not only that, but they're bringing up the resurrection and we are really ticked. They're disturbed. And look what they do. They put them in custody until the next day. I mean, they put them in jail. Now, these are the same sorts of people. You're going to see more of them. 11 People in all, I think they mentioned right here in the first five or six verses, that Jesus was in front of just a couple months earlier. Are you catching that? And here they go. <laughs> these little fishermen, these just these folks with ordinary 
just average Joes find themselves in front of the captains and the priests and the Sadducees, sort of like Jesus said would happen in the Gospels. So they come. And so you think about that. Jesus told them this was going to happen. And I bet intellectually they knew it. They probably had a journal and they took some notes. Wow, persecute me, hate me, okay, check. Uh, uh, you know, uh, watch out for yourselves, okay, check. Uh, uh, oh, you'll give me the words to say when I get there. Okay, great. And you know, they're just going up to the temple to pray. They're just going up to the temple to pray. They're just participating in church life. And they're wanting to pray and commune with the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Lord does a powerful work through them and a lame man walks and they're, yes, man, isn't this amazing, the Christian life, to see people lame come to walk and to, you know, and spiritually, uh, man, people who don't get it, but the Holy Spirit does something. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then the police come. And they put them in jail. And they put them in jail. Jesus told them, I bet, I bet, just from the tenor of this chapter and the way in which they're going to react later in this chapter, that their faith in the midst of jail time went boom. Because everything Jesus was telling them was coming to fruition. And here it happens. And they come and they lay hands on them and they put them in jail until the next day for it was evening. However, watch this. Watch this. Many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And I want you to see something. We've gone now from 120 people at the beginning of the book of Acts. Peter does his first sermon and 3,000 are added to their numbers. And now Peter has done a second sermon after he's healed the lame man. And it says, numbered about 5,000 men. That's not including the ladies and the children. Are you getting it? The church is being birthed. And the Holy Spirit's responsible. And persecution doesn't stop it. It increases it. And one thing I want you to see here. The miracles are great. Who loves miracles? I love miracles. You love miracles. We all love miracles. We should make that a song or a poem. But, <clears throat> but I want you to see something. They heard the word. That's what it says. And they believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. One of the things that we want to be about, one of our core values that we want to fellowship even around is the Word of God. So all that we do, we want to incorporate the Word of God. Why? Because you never know. In fact, I'm looking at a, <laughs> uh, uh, a friend, or I'm thinking of a friend of mine who had been heavily influenced by a, a, a sign that had Scripture outside the church. I'm thinking of that friend. I'm thinking of people you've mentioned scriptures to in the past or you've been sharing with and maybe even months later or years later they come and the Lord's done something with that scripture as it's fallen upon the ground of soil in their heart. So how are people going to get saved, the Bible tells us in Romans, unless there is a preacher? Now I'm not just talking about me. 
I'm talking about people who proclaim the word of God, and that's all of us. We're all ministers in that way, you see. How will people be saved? Uh, faith comes by hearing and not hearing pithy little statements on Facebook and uh, uh, cool little things on Instagram and funny little things on Twitter. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit takes over and repentance and salvation. And you see it right here. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, their elders, their scribes, as well as Annas the high priest. Fascinating. Fascinating story right here. Annas the high priest is not the high priest right now. He's the father-in-law of the high priest named Caiaphas, who's mentioned next. And Annas uh, ruled uh, uh, from about 6 to 14 A.D. And guess what happened after 6 to 14 A.D.? Several of his sons, who probably include John and Alexander right there in your Bible. Many people, we don't know exactly who John they're speaking of there and Alexander is, except for this guy had a couple sons with that name, so they probably are referring to them. But anyway, the high priest, several of his sons become the high priest, but they weren't very good. So Caiaphas eventually becomes the high priest, and he's the one that put Jesus on trial a couple months ago. Everybody with me? Okay, so Annas is like the godfather of high priests. He sort of still runs it, even though he's not appointed as such, and he runs rackets. He runs the, uh, oh, you, you know, in order to come up into the temple, you've got to have some temple money to put in the offering, your money doesn't work here. We need to exchange money. Let me see what you got. Okay, here's the exchange rate. And the exchange rate was horrendous in favor of the religious society. Get it? Oh, wait a minute. You're coming up to, uh, you know, sacrifice the animal. Uh, I've kind of looked yours over and it's not appropriate to be sacrificed. But hey, we've got a, a model right here that you can have. And they sell it uh, for big time money. And Annas was overseeing a lot of this stuff. And you remember in the book of John, Jesus was first taken to be put on trial, not to Caiaphas, but to Annas. That's who that is. So you have these people, and as many as were of the family of high priest were, to, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked. Now I'm going to ask them to cue the picture, because I got a picture of the hall that they were in. This is what it looked like. And the rulers would sit around. It's on the north side of the temple, probably. And they had this hall in which they hauled people into, and they sat them in the midst. It's probably where Jesus was at one time. But at this time, they bring Peter and John and the lame man, and they stand them there on that rug-looking thing. And all of them start to inquire and ask questions. Now, let me ask you something. Who here likes to be in front of a big group of people and speak? Raise your hand. Oh, not, oh, a couple. Okay, good. But not many of you. Who here wants to go in front of, um, uh, you know, the Supreme Court and sort of argue your case? No. Oh, you do. Good. Wonderful. <clears throat> Wonderful. But you know what? Not many people like to do that and praise the Lord for lawyers. You get to pay us to do that. But... 
Why? Because it's intimidating. It's nerve-wracking. It's these people know more than I do, etc., etc., right? And that's where Peter and John find themselves right now in the midst. Now, can you imagine as they walk into the hall and they start to begin their talks? Can you imagine having this in your ear, but watch out for yourselves for they're going to deliver you up to councils? Wait a minute. I'm just a fisherman who went to the evening of prayer, who just was obedient to the Lord. And the Lord, I saw this man, we looked at him, and in the name of Jesus, he rose up and walked, and we gave this thing, and now we were in the solid, and now here I am. It happened in a blink of an eye. All of a sudden, there he was, faith. So even in the middle of this, they must have been thinking, wow, the Lord is at work. What a different opinion. What would most of us say if we got there? Lord, get me out of this. Please, I'll do anything. If you can just shut this down somehow and let me get home, I'll never do that again, or I'll never say that again, or I'll ne- just help me, Lord, help me. Get me out of here. That's not what they were about. Are you catching that? They knew in the middle of anxiousness, nervousness, that the power of the living God was going to come upon them so that they could speak and talk and give an account of who Jesus was in the most powerful places in all of Israel. And they get there and they say this, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, this is sort of in their realm of of what they would do. This is sort of in their jurisdiction. If you know the Old Testament, you know that in the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 5, I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to sort of tell you what it's about. Uh, Moses uh, uh, was told by God, don't automatically believe a man who uh, 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 does a miracle. He He says this, and he says, check them out. And if you check them out and they're not from God, guess what you're to do with them? Stone them. And so, God bless you. And so, these folks are sort of doing that. There is that part of what they're doing right here. It's legitimate. But as you know, their offices and their religion and their outward stuff, they don't want anybody to upset the apple cart because they've got a really good thing going. Sort of sounds like lots of dead religion that exists today. So they get there and they're in the midst and they're trying to trap him. They're using a legitimate power that they have to sort of figure things out, but they're trying to trap them. They're trying to get them to say the wrong thing or the right thing. And then watch this, Peter, if I was reading this story and didn't know it because I've already read it, I would say, oh no, Lord, not not Peter. Peter's the guy who always sticks his foot in his mouth. I mean, if I'm on the legal team for a big time client and they send us to the Supreme Court and we're around the war room table de- uh, deciding strategy for the argument and looking up the, uh, the precedent and then get to the ultimate question, who's going to deliver the argument? Let's take a vote. You see Peter on there and you go, not Peter. <laughs> no way. <laughs> he might say something wrong. That's all in this story right here. 
this story where just a couple months ago, here's this guy, and he wants to know what is in it for him, this life with Jesus. And as he lives in that way, he slams his fist on the table at the upper room and says, Lord, I'd never deny you. No way. You can count on me, buddy. And within hours, he's denied the Lord several times to people who aren't, weren't Supreme Court judges. He denies the Lord. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, under the power of the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, the Lord is starting to tell us he's going to use you folks, us, we, people who even put their foot in their mouth, when they're under the power and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it, is what he's saying. You can do it. And there's things to do. And one of the things is, is I'm going to call you before councils and you're going to explain the gospel. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, watch that. Now we've been going through the baptism of the Holy Spirit Three relationships uh, uh, that the Holy Spirit has with us. He comes alongside us. He comes in us and dwells us. And then there's this coming upon ministry that we saw in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And that had happened for Peter. But I want you to know something. There were fresh fillings and anointings of the Spirit. And here's one of them you see. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened for Peter, but it still, it says, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in each of these subsequent fillings in Acts, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and receive a fresh anointing, it's always or most times when they're confronted by enemies of the gospel. And God gives them boldness and strength to work through it and to say the right thing. Hmm, Interesting. How many times at work do you need that? How many times at the soccer fields or the playgrounds or the, uh, the school uh, you know, council meetings or wherever you are and you just say, man, I don't know what to say. I don't. You need and I need the filling of the Holy Spirit to speak appropriately and to be bold and gentle all at the same time. And the Holy Spirit does it. And here he is. And he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. I want you to see something. He's respectful. I'm just going to lay that right there. He's respectful. In fact, he uses a technique in Hellenistic Greek orator training in which he procures goodwill at the beginning of a speech. He uses it. He knows it. He's talking about it. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he is respectful to people who could potentially want to kill him. The Holy Spirit. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the, by, that by the name of Jesus Christ, good job, worship band. We sang about that this morning that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among them by which we must 
be saved. Now, you could read Acts on many levels. You could just read the link from Jerusalem to Rome. That's what this book is about. From Jerusalem to Rome. That's what we're uh, uh, studying in one sense. How did the church get from Jerusalem to Rome? We could read that. We could read it that the first part generally is about Peter's ministry to the Jews. Generally. There's a couple others in there, I understand. And the second half of the book of Acts is Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. You could read it that way. You could read it just to see what the early church was like. And yes, wonderful. But one of the things... And, 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 and so there's many levels. But one of the things I want you to see is this little fisherman who's filled with the Holy Spirit knows the Bible like the back of his hand. Here he comes, and he's talking with an open Bible. I don't know if he had an open Bible, but he probably remembered it. And he quotes, he quotes Psalm 118. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. He wants everybody to know. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's moved into gospel proclamation, witnessing, evangelizing, however you want to say it, work. It's just his life. He was going up to the temple to pray. He didn't plan to be here. The Lord just opened up the doors. I don't know. Maybe he prayed for this, but maybe he didn't. And the Lord just guided him right here. It just seems like the Lord set off a chain of events and you better be ready when the events come. And the great part about it is, is every morning when you wake up to just spend that hour or 15 minutes with your Lord and Savior, the sweet hour of prayer, as one hymn has said, He's doing so many things. He's calming your heart. He's giving you resource for the day. But he's also preparing you for things you don't even know are coming. Like one day, you'll share with a guy out on the street, and the next day, you'll be in the Supreme Court. Whoa. Where am I going? How powerful are you, Lord? God raised him by the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. This is that reference there to Isaiah 35, I think, where it says that the Messiah will have lame people begin to leap. And Jesus in John 5 did it. And you saw it at the pool of Bethesda. And then he says that stone, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now you say, well, oh, come on, Psalm 119. That's a pretty cool Psalm. I like that Psalm. I understand what they're saying. Chief cornerstone sort of makes sense to me. You put that massive stone right there at the corner. And all the weight of the other stones sort of are on it. But then if you want to have a good, I don't know, um, straight building, a great foundation. Well, you better get the cornerstone right. If you don't get the cornerstone right, everything's off. Everything, everything, everything. And that's a great lesson that we learn. And it, Jesus here is the chief cornerstone. He's telling them. And that includes the resurrection, where it really ticks them off. But there's something else going on here. And maybe you knew it, or maybe you didn't. You see, over in Matthew 21, tell me again. Gospels before or after Acts? Before. Before Jesus had encountered these same rulers. And if you go over to Matthew 21, great. If you don't, I'll read it to you. 
Jesus told another parable in verse 33 of 21 of Matthew. And this is really fascinating. There was this certain landowner who planted a vineyard. Remember this? And he set a hedge around it, uh, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. And now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another, and again he sent other servants more than the first. And they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them. Now you get in the picture? He sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. What? Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Do you remember this? Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the uh, vine dressers? And they said to him, oh, he'll destroy those wicked men miserably, lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who rendered to him the fruits in their season. And look, watch, watch. Jesus says to them, this is funny, man, because they had read the scriptures. And he said to these leaders of the Jewish religion, have you never read the scriptures? And they're like, what? What are you talking about probably? And he, Jesus himself says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And he quotes Psalm 118, just like Peter has in our study before us today. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to, the, or grind him to powder. Now watch. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Wow, so perceptive. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. This scripture had been told to them before. And Peter was there before he had fallen. And God used that in Peter's life. Isn't that touching? And God used that in Peter's life to do a mighty work. And here's of course, what this is saying, if you don't get the cornerstone right, the whole building falls over. you got to get the cornerstone right. If you've ever built a house like me, no, that's a joke. I can't build anything, but somebody, people tell me that's true. If you don't get the cornerstone right, well, the whole thing has fallen down. And the idea behind this is that the temple now is not a building, but a people. And that these folks who he's speaking to are in danger of leaving out the most precious thing about the temple. And that's the spirit of God, the life of God, the presence of God. 
And Jesus is that. And what he's saying to them, Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is you're missing it. Jesus warned you, you heard once, I'm telling it to you again, and you're missing it. It's about, as we studied this morning in adult Sunday school, a living, loving union with Christ. That's what Christianity is. It's not about being good boys and little girls and uh, adhering to many different rules, although we should be obedient, but it's not that. It's a living, loving union with Christ. And these folks were missing it. The smartest, quote-unquote, people in the religious system of the times were totally missing it. And they would have known that Peter was preaching something that Jesus had already preached. By the way, this obliterates pluralism. Two things that contradict both can't be true, folks. Two things that contradict can't be true, can they? Or both of them can't be true, right? And here, Jesus is saying in his parable in Matthew 21, and Peter repeating it, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and he's the only one. If you don't build on Jesus, there is no eternal life. There is no living Holy Spirit in your life. There's none of that. You're just going through dead and rotting religion. Agreed? And when people say, wow, you're arrogant about that, that you're, you're not arrogant about this. No way you could be arrogant about it. You could only be humble about it because God's called you and you've responded to that, that call and you could be lowly and humble and gentle about it. This isn't being arrogant. This is an implied or an implication of all that the gospel is. That when you lay down your life and follow him, he's the one that has eternal life. And you could just go through all of John. You could go through first John. If you have the son, you have eternal life. You could go to John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. This takes pluralism and puts it on its ear. I hear somebody. <laughs> it's funny. Well, somebody, Jerusalem fund. We're, we're going to Jerusalem. Phones go on, just put five bucks in the fund back there. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... You want to be blown away. Just read this in the mornings. They had to have vehemently disagreed. Correct? Probably angry and mad. Weren't happy campers. But when they saw the boldness, where did they get the boldness? They got the boldness from the Holy Spirit. The resurrection power that lives in us, the grace of God. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. And they realized, watch this, underline this, and they realized that they'd been with Jesus. Wow. When people look at your life, if you're a follower of Christ, what do you want them to say? 
oh man, that guy knows a lot about Jesus. Wow, that dude knows the Bible. That lady knows the Bible. What a wonderfully nice person she is or he is. <laughs> There's something different going on here. They knew something. That these people had been with Jesus. And I wonder, I know what it's talking about in one respect. It's saying that they were with him as a follower of Christ and they touched and handled him and they watched as he died and rose again. I, I get that part. But in today's situation for us as believers, I wonder if people know that I've been with Jesus. Or do I just know a lot about him? There's a big difference. And the way in which that happens is we spend time together. We walk with each other and we talk with each other. There's a relationship. And we, he tells me I'm his own. And there's where I'm calmed and I'm given direction. And I have peace and where I receive comfort. Yeah, it's fun and good and wise to get godly friends. Yes, of course, God uses us as friends to do that, no doubt, and great counsel and all that sort of thing. But first and foremost, do people know we've been with Jesus? Well, they knew it with these people. And it was in a situation that was really probably tense and hard and awkward. But they knew it. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. There's the word. The word. I preached the word, he, uh, Peter would have said. But you also see the evidence. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And how? And they couldn't even say anything. And they noticed the witness of these people's lives. And they couldn't even say anything. But when the, they had commanded them to go aside of the council, they said, Oh man, can you, can you imagine? Oh, it's, I'm sorry. 70 people up there, 70 plus one, and they're questioning, and they're, they're scribes, which means they're lawyers. They know how to ask questions. They know how to inquire. They know how to do this stuff. And now he's done his thing in the Holy Spirit, and they're just sort of like, we don't even know what to say. Could you just sort of leave the room for a minute so we can talk about that? That's what's going on here. Yeah. And so they conferred among themselves saying, verse 16, what shall we do to these men? What do, that's what religion's all about, man. Right there. Outward, dead, rotting religion. Bitterness and anger and striking back. And getting your rights heard. I mean, the message of the gospel is that you have rights and they're laid down. That's what Jesus did. But that's what religion does. What shall we do? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. And they recognize that this was God's activity. You understand that? They knew Deuteronomy 13. You understand? And they had the probably the legal precedent and authority if they weren't from God to stone them. But they couldn't do that in good conscience. They could not do that because these people were from God and had been with Jesus. And this was evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Do you see that? It's spread. And we can't deny it. But so that spreads no further. Isn't that sad? 
when people are living sold out radical lives for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, religion wants to shut them down, which prevents people from hearing the truth. They want to stop these messages, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let's severely threaten them. We've already threatened them. Let's now severely threaten them. It's sort of funny, isn't it? That from now on, they speak to no man in his name. You catch it? They know that the name of Jesus now has power and resource and strength and love and ability to forgive. And uh, uh, it causes men and women to repent and turn from their sins and be followers of Christ. And they don't want the name spoken. And isn't that what the enemy does? The enemy says things like this. The devils know, you know this from James, the devils know that he's the son of God. But if we can just keep them happy in their nice little Christianese, just maybe giving a few bucks here and then, and maybe even doing some a little bit of charity work, maybe that, maybe that'll just keep them calm and they won't be in the power of the Holy Spirit. But man, if they start to speak out the name of Christ to people in places that people don't normally go and speak the name of Christ, the enemy comes and tries to shut it down. You get it? So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. They know. He's the name above, he has the name above all names. The only one that could do anything about any of these things that are godly and right. They were not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John come right back and say to them, don't they? They come right back. And they say to them, they say this, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. I mean, this is bold, man. There they are, three guys in the middle of the ruling council up there on the Temple Mount just trying to get the prayer and back and maybe have lunch. Suddenly find themselves and they give this thing and things are happening and the Lord's working. And all of a sudden, just like Jesus said, he had the exact right words, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we can't speak, for we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. So when they had thir further threatened them, <laughs> that'll do it. They let them go, finding no way of punishing them. And this speaks of, doesn't it? We're to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. We're to submit ourselves to the ordinances of men. First Peter 2 tells us, Romans 13 tells us. But when God makes a command that's in direct conflict with that. We have to obey the Lord. So they threaten him some more. They couldn't punish him because of the people since they all glorified God. Notice that they didn't glorify Peter and John. Real, true, eternal works always glorifies the Father. And they didn't want any of that glory for the man was over 40 years old and being let go, they went to their own companions. Now watch it. If I'm writing the story, okay. They went down to the companion's house and they sat down on the couch and they went, oh man, we escaped. Whew. I hope we never get in that situation again. That's what we would all say. I want you to see what they said. 
They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. There it is again. It's always in Acts with one accord. They were unified in the life of Christ. Lord, you are God. What are they doing? They're praying. I'll just throw this out here. You can get mad at me later. They didn't protest. They didn't picket outside the Supreme Court. Nothing wrong with picketing. I'm okay with that. But I want you to see what they did first. That's the point. They knew that the most important, I'm not against picketing. I'm not against that. I just want you to see what they did first and fervently. They got their Bible out. Now, they didn't have a Bible like we did, but they got it out. And that's important. When you pray, get your Bible out and pray and think about the word. What do I mean? Look, with one accord, they said, Lord, your God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant, David, here it comes again. He's got his, the word. He knows the word. And they quote the word. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It's as if the apostles are saying this. Jesus told us, we're going to run into tough times. That's saying it mildly, or mildly. And David said it. I mean, all the way before Jesus, David told us that the nations were going to rage against the Messiah. These are tough times. These are rough times. What should we do? Let's pray for more boldness and go do it again. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, or anointed, excuse me, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. He even is sovereign over the enemies of God to further his kingdom. You catching that? And so he goes on, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Lord, get us out of the situation. Never send me back to the Supreme Court. I would hated it there. And I, you know I don't like talking in front of crowds. And I'm just a fisherman and I don't want you to do it. And please, do what I say in Jesus' name. None of that. Not even a shred or a hint. Because why? Because Jesus commanded them to share the gospel and bring, bring disciples or to make disciples. He commanded them. It was the last words he said to them. They knew it and they took it to heart. And their whole life was about this. There was no get me out of this. They were as thank you for sending me there. I was on my way to prayer and you sent me into the Supreme Court. Amazing. Give me more boldness. Fill me again that we may, we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They knew that signs and wonders would bring people so that they could share the gospel, which saves. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, they'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they were getting a fresh filling. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, folks, it's not to glorify you. It's to be bold as witnesses. And if gifts supernaturally come, 
Well, great, because it's edifying the body and we're going to be edified in here and we're going to go and take the gospel to the world. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, I want you to think about something because here people are going to get tripped up. Doesn't this speak of communism? Of course it doesn't speak of communism. In fact, in the next chapter, when you come back next week, we see people having personal property. What? Uh, and so personal property, this, this isn't communism. You've got to think about what was going on here. You have 5,000 men plus women and children crowding in Jerusalem. They've come from a lot of different places. They need places to sleep, places to eat, being housed, there's something going on. There's this thing that's happening in Jerusalem, and they wanted to be a part of it. There was a need, in other words, and these people were motivated out of a need for their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they were committed to one another, and they loved one another, and look at it. They probably didn't even know everybody. They've only been brothers and sisters in the Lord a short period of time. But they are, and they were, and here a multitude believed, and they were of one heart. And here they come, they, had, they shared everything out of a great love. And with great power, the apostles gave witness, what to? The resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It's where the difference is between all the other religions of the world and Christianity. He's actually not in the grave. He's alive. I mean, that's easy. When somebody comes to you, oh, I can't believe you believe in that. I can't believe you do that. You need to coexist. I mean, what's the difference between my religion and Christianity? And you go, I'm Babe Ruth now. I'm going to knock this one out of the park. This is easy. And you say it with love and humility, but it's this, that Jesus Christ died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And now he lives in our heart by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And you preach that. But here, with great power, they gave witness to this resurrection. And look, and great grace was upon them all. And what you're speaking of there is that they had grace given to them by the Lord. And they were sharing. I want to read you a definition of grace. I like to do this. I don't want you to just throw around the terms grace. Grace is the one you all love and we all love, is not only unmerited favor. We say that. It is that. But grace is uh, transforming power provided by the Father in heaven through His Son and dispensed in abundance by His Spirit of grace. The giving of their testimonies was done with divine power. And it's power for today. It's not just salvation. It's for living. It's for testifying. It's for making disciples. And here they had great grace. Nor was there any among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Do you need to go and sell your house? I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's calling you to. Do you necessarily have to? No. Do you see a need and meet needs? Yes, do that. If there's a great need and you want to come alongside and help somebody, yes, do that. Be motivated by the love of God and His forgiveness for you and the reality of His risen life 
And when you see brothers and sisters love them and it, and be motivated by that love and see needs and meet needs. And laid them, look at this, they were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and they laid them at the apostles' feet and watch. They trusted the apostles to distribute to each as anyone had need. And why, as one commentator put it, was it upon the apostles to distribute to each one as they had need? It's because they lived at the feet of Jesus. They lived at the feet of Jesus so they could dispense things for Jesus in that place of humility. This is a sharing of all things. It's motivated by love. It's not communism. When we see needs, we're to meet those needs. Now, there's some parameters on that, folks. Benevolence is a tricky thing. You get somebody calling the church and they say they need money for a hotel or etc., etc. Remember, you're also to be stewards of God's money. So in 1 Timothy especially, and other places, there's some guidelines on that. We won't get into them now. But know that there's parameters on the benevolence of the church, God-given parameters. Now, one last thing and you're done. Oh, it's only 11.59. I got 20 more minutes. <laughs> Listen, one last thing. The Holy Spirit of God gave to Luke an exhibit to just put here. This is a glimpse into the early church. This is the same little glimpse you got back in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. You know, you know that. that was, and it's the same sort of literary structure. They have this healing, this sermon, and now you get a glimpse into what the church, early church was like. And he gets done with chapter 4, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then the Lord gives it to him. See, exhibit A. And what's that? It's Barnabas. Barnabas, this companion of Paul, this one who was called from up in the Greek Isles. Notice this. See exhibit A for love and generosity. Let's look at Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. Who wants to be Son of Mr. Annoying, or son of annoying. Oh, Timothy. Timothy, I got a funny joke about that, but I'll refrain. Me and Timothy are friends and we love each other. Who wants to be the son or daughter of being shallow? Who wants to be the son or daughter of critical? Gossip. Nope, that's what, not what this man was named. He was the son of encouragement. When he was alone with people, talking of other people, he didn't cut them down. He talked about them in the sense that they had real potential. 
for God to do something with their life. And he exhorted people and he was a peacemaker in the right way. And we start off by seeing this guy as exhibit A of the love of Christ, seeing needs and meeting deeds. He was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. He was a Levite. Now that's fascinating because Levites weren't given land. And this guy lived up in Cyprus, up in the Greek Isles. You get it? So he must have had land because he had, or because of the next verse. <laughs> Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But what does all this mean? Well, I'm wondering if he was convicted all that way up in Cyprus as he moves down for maybe a feast or something and he's a witness to the resurrection or at least he's maybe not a witness, you know, I have seen the Lord appear, but maybe now the other people have been sharing with him and he's from Cyprus and he starts thinking to himself, man, I come from this lineage and I, I'm a Levite. I'm supposed to be one who is in the priestly order. And, and, you know, I'm not really supposed to have land. And the Lord sort of said that in, in the old Testament, they were, they, uh, the Levites, it was said, the Lord was their portion. The Lord was their treasure, not the land or personal possessions. I wonder if he got convicted and said, wow, this is perfect. I've come into this new relationship with all these wonderful brothers and sisters, 5,000 plus women and children, and I see this need, and they're down here in Jerusalem, and they need to eat. And they, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell my land. You know what one thing happens when you become a Christian, hopefully? If not, put it on your prayer list for 2023. Your possessions, you, you start holding on to your possessions much lighter. And he did it. He was a man who just obeyed the Lord and wanted to please the Lord. And is there anything wrong with having personal property? Or, or No, no, of course. In fact, one of the spiritual gifts is giving. Yes. So we're not saying that. Do you all have to go out of here and say, oh, say your property? No, that's, that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is the Lord stirred in his heart to sell his property. And he said, yes, gladly. I love these people, these new people who I've met. They want to praise the Lord and worship the Lord, and they need sustenance, and they need help. I'll do it. And I'm going to bring the money, and I'm going to just lay it at the apostles' feet, and I want them to distribute it to those who need it. What an amazing picture of what the early church was like. And so I ask you as we move on out of here, I don't know where the Lord will take you. But don't you want to be Peter? Not Peter himself. You don't want to imitate him. But don't you want the Lord to put you before councils and rulers? That might not mean the Supreme Court, but maybe that means the county commissioners or, or something. I don't know. The Lord has a lot of different things that he could take you to. Just a normal, everyday person, just sort of in and out of the temple praying, in and out, just doing your devotions, going to work, doing your thing, and before you know it, boom, there's your opportunity, and the Lord's saying, here, walk through the door. And here, you don't have to do it by yourself. I'll give you the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
And oh, as you do that, what are you going to do when you die here if, if the Lord doesn't come first? What do you want to be known as? Mr. and Mrs. Gossip? Mr. and Mrs. Critical? Or how about this? How about you start encouraging people in the Lord? Barnabas, a peacemaker. Let's pray. I hear the babies crying. Let's pray. <laughs> and I would just say, if you haven't given your heart to the Lord, you don't know the Lord in a real and personal way in that way, I want you to come up after and speak with me or some of us who are standing up here. Today is the day of salvation. Or if you have, listen, if you have strayed from the Lord, come back. Just lay it all down. Who wants to just come into church and fake it? Let's pray. Well, Lord, what a beautiful, powerful chapter of your Bible, your word that shows us what you did in the early church, but you're still doing in the church today. For men and women, boys and girls who lay their lives down for you, you fill them, Lord, and give them opportunities to share and to love and to care for one another. Lord, help us not to miss it. Take away our selfishness, our pride, our self-life. Humble us, Lord. Help us to be people who can confess to one another things that are happening in our lives and that we don't just judge and be critical and gossip about it. We keep things close. We help as you direct and guide. Lord, help us to be very generous here in the right way. But above all else, Lord, may your name be glorified in all the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.